First Chronicles chapter 21. And we're going to begin today a, ser- a new series of messages called How to Alter Your Life. Now, I, you'll notice here on the screen that I have misspelled the word alter as it would be used in this context because uh, in talking about changing something or altering something, the spelling is A-L-T-E-R. But I've purposely done this because we're going to be spelt at A-L-T-A-R because we're, that refers to a place where people worship God and sacrifices are altered, excuse me, are offered. (laughs) And um, we're going to be looking at, over the next few weeks, six occasions in the Bible where people had profound life change experiences at an altar. Now, I'll bet that there are some of us here, uh, including me, who could use some life altering A-L-T-E-R experiences. We need some stuff in our lives changed. And I'll also bet that some of us for whom that is true have found it very challenging and in fact some of us have found it impossible to see the kinds of change that we want to change. We just don't seem to be able to get it done. And that's because there are, there are things in our life. Look, there, you can accomplish a lot of things by willpower and devotion and dedication and so forth. If you want to become uh, a marathon runner, you can, for the most part, do that uh, if you uh, apply yourself diligently enough. But there are some issues of the heart and soul that you just can't get to with willpower. We need the power of Jesus Christ. We need God to alter to make those alterations in our lives. And he uses some uh, principles. He uses some things to get the job done in us that sometimes we aren't aware of or have discounted in some way. And so over these weeks, as we look at these six occasions where people had life-changing encounters with God at an altar, A-L-T-A-R, we're going to be looking for the principle that is being shown to us by God that we can employ as we invite Him to alter, A-L-T-E-R, our lives. Enough of the spelling lesson and ready to go? Okay. So today we're going to be talking about the life-altering principle of confession. Confession. Now, I... uh, I I don't talk about political things. I, I... I've just a long time ago decided I, I have this weekly, if not more than that, opportunity to speak to people. And I don't want to take any of those opportunities to talk about politics. So I have enough to do just to teach the Bible. And I figure that if I do that as well as I can under the grace of God, that he can take care of whatever else needs to be taken care of. So you never hear me talk about political issues. And I'm not going to right now either. But I am going to talk about a political figure. And so I want you to listen really close and not put words in my mouth, okay? But I want to talk to you for a minute about our president. 
Um, first of all, let me just say that I am a, I'm a registered Republican. I consider myself a conservative. You may not, and hallelujah, I don't care. <laughs> um, it's of marginal consequence to me. But I did not vote for uh, Donald Trump in the last election. And the reason was not about his political uh, st stands on issues. It wasn't about uh, anything having to do with the whole political arena. So don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not taking issue with any of that. You, we can have a wide variety of opinions in this room about all of that stuff. And we can all be Christians. <laughs> Amen. But I did not vote for him because of his unwillingness to confess. His unwillingness to admit fault or failure in any situation. I don't know where that comes from, and I certainly don't know him personally, so I don't know if that carries over into his private life, but in his public life, he can never get those words out of his mouth that sound like, oops, I goofed, or I'm sorry, or I failed. He just can't seem to speak them. And that concerns me a lot. And you're going to hear why as we go through this this morning. But last uh, Friday, so two days ago, I was listening to a very well-known conservative commentator, someone whose name, if I mentioned it, many of you would know. Um, someone looked up to and respected in that part of our political uh, community. And he said, remember he's a conservative, he's a Republican. He said, I fear for our country because of this issue with our president. Now certainly there are a lot of other people for whom the issue I'm describing is true. And you kind of, I'm going to tell you in a little bit about, about me and how, you know, I've had some, and certainly you too, I'm sure, have had issues with being willing to confront or confess our own sin. So I'm not just trying to pick on a man, but I just thought that this was so telling that this commentator said, I fear for our country in the wake of a presidency, however long it may be, where we can't uh, acknowledge failure. Because if that begins to be our political discourse, I don't know where that leaves us as a country. And so this is not what I'm going to talk to you today. I planned to do this long before I heard what was said by that guy on Friday. I didn't even, when I was preparing this message for you today, I did not have anything about Donald Trump in my mind. But it does... I can't get away from that right now because this kind of just sets up an example that we all, we all need to deal with because we all need life change in some area of, of who we are and what we do and confession is so important to that. So powerful. So powerful. Now, I'm going to need to say another thing and in, in set up for this. Uh, I think it's been about seven or eight years ago now when we first rented this 
building and it wasn't complete in any way and we we had it for about a year before we actually moved in because all we had was the office well it's not even office space anymore those classrooms are out in front there this part of the building were offices we had that and I used to hang out in there during the week while the construction was going on and everything <clears throat> and we hired a, a landscape maintenance guy to take care of the the grounds such as they were at that time and uh, so he was supposed to be here uh, every other week to mow and, and all that kind of stuff. One of the days when he was here, he stopped me, he saw me, and he said, I'd like, can I talk to you about confession? I found out quickly that he uh, is a devout Roman Catholic, and I, I, I'm just going to I say this often, so I'm sure no one misunderstands, but I don't, have, I don't carry any brief against the Roman Catholic Church. I, I, I am grateful for the God-fearing, Christ-honoring people that are part of that, of that uh, church. And this man was a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, uh, as well as uh, a devoted and committed member of the Roman Catholic Church. But he asked me, what do you think about confession? And I didn't want to answer the, the question because I didn't want to cast any aspersions on his church. I didn't want to implicate his church in any way, which I wouldn't have, you know, but it, it put me in a little bit of an awkward place. So I, I tried to dodge it at first, but he was serious. He wanted to know what I thought the Bible talked about confession. I said to him, well, I think here's what you're going for. So let me just get this out of the way. I don't find in the Bible any place where it says that somebody else besides Jesus mediates between me and God. It says Jesus is the mediator between God and man. So when it comes to confession, I don't, I think scripturally I don't need to have a priest or minister or anybody else in between me and God. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, I went on to say to him, but the Bible does say in the New Testament, in James, it says that we are to confess our faults, our trespasses to each other so that we may be healed. But here's the thing I want, I told him, I said, but you know what? As believers in Jesus, people who have received Christ as our Savior and received his forgiveness of our sins, we confession now after that point after that initial confessing of our need for salvation after that confession is still a powerful thing in our lives that we need to take note of but now confession is not about getting forgiveness it's about getting healed confess your faults one to another that you may be healed not that you may be forgiven but a lot of us have this idea about confession that, you know, it's, you know, I just got to make sure I'm confessed up to God. That I've, you know, I've uh, told him, you know, what I did wrong yesterday so that he'll forgive me today. And that's not what, conf that's not what I'm talking about this morning. So now having gotten that out of the way, let's read this passage, okay? First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. In other words, it, we're told the devil tempted David and David succumbed to the temptation to take a census of the people. 
I'll explain a little bit more that, about that in a minute. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan. That, that's describing a, a, the geographical region that Israel occupied in those days. And bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Jacob answered, excuse me, and Joab answered, may the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are, but my Lord the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? Look at verse 7. And God was displeased with this thing. Therefore he, God, struck Israel. We're not going to read it, but when it says that God struck Israel, there was a plague unleashed by David's sin in taking this sentence, census excuse me, that actually claimed the life of thousands of people. We don't know exactly what the plague was, but it was devastating. Verse 8, so David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I've done this thing. But now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Look at verse 18. Therefore the angel of the Lord commanded Gad, Gad was one of David's um, advisors, the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So God speaks, through, speaks to Gad and tells him to tell David to go to this specific spot and, and make an altar there where you're going to offer a sacrifice for your sin. Now verse 22, Then David said to Ornan, Grant me the, the place of this threshing floor that I may build an altar on it to the Lord. You shall grant it to me at the full price that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. But Ornan said to David, Take it to yourself and let my lord the king do what is good in his eyes. Look, I also give you the oxen for the burnt offerings and the threshing implements for wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I give it all. Then King David said to Ornan, No, no, but I will surely buy it for the full price for I will not Take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings with that which costs me nothing. Verse 26, And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the Lord, and he answered him from heaven by fire on the altar of burnt offering. The plague was stopped. And verse 22 says this, or excuse me, chapter 22, verse 1 says this, then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. I'll come back and explain what that means in just a minute, but I want you to have that in your mind as well. So there's an awful lot to this story that I'm not taking the time to read today. And there's a whole thing here about this plague that's unleashed uh, on the people by David's sin that uh, really deserves a lot more focus. Um, this is something David unleashed. This is not God just being ticked off at people and taking vengeance on them. And that's about all I can say about that. But even that, we're told, God stopped because of his mercy. 
He didn't even carry out the full, he, he held back the full impact of what David had unleashed by his sin because of his mercy. But I'm going to have to leave that where it is because I, I got other things I need to deal with this morning having to do with the life-altering power of confession. The first thing I just need to say is that God's forgiveness is immediate and absolute. I can't go on to talk about confession unless I get this squared away. When you gave your heart to, to the Lord, and by that I mean when you came to that first confession, when you confessed your need for a Savior, and you said to God, I am a sinner and I need the forgiveness that you offer through your son Jesus. When that point in time came, when you crossed from doubt into faith and became a follower of Jesus, God's forgiveness covered your sin, past, present, future. He took sin out of the way. The Bible says that he separated our sin from us as far as the east is from the west, when God sees you, he does not see you and your sin in the same frame. It's covered. Amen. Covered. So when we talk about confession today, again, we're not talking about getting forgiveness. You have that as a follower of Christ. We're talking about getting healed. Okay? The second thing I want to say this morning is that we still sin and I probably don't need to say that. <laughs> so yes my sin is covered and, and hallelujah but I still sin. In fact 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 says if we say we have no sin we're liars. And I think lying is a sin too so <laughs> you know not so good. I several years ago I um, well, I won't even tell you about that. I got, <laughs> I got a more current story to tell you. <laughs> I was going to tell you about a time I lied to a, a Home Depot uh, employee <laughs> to get him off my, you know, he was trying to sell me something. And anyway. And the Lord wouldn't let me get away. To, I'll just tell you the end of the story. The Lord wouldn't get away, let me get away with it. I got to my car in the parking lot and it was like the Lord was like, <laughs> and, I, and I did what all of you do too I tried to explain to him why it was the right thing and acceptable little white lie come on I had, you know <laughs> and you know that never goes over with God you've probably figured that out you know. he's, he's not very um, accepting of that excuse <clears throat> but here's the thing I was excusing myself I wasn't confessing well, yeah, let me tell you something more current. So like two weeks ago, I was with my son. Now, even that, I have, look, I've sinned since two weeks ago. Okay. <laughs> Just to be clear. But two weeks ago, I, we, I was with our son up in Portland where he lives. I was helping take care of his son, his, his son, my grandson. And uh, we were together in his car, and he was playing for me, or he had just automatically playing in his car. His he's a, among other artistic things that he does, he's a rap artist. And so he had released recently a, a, a new CD, and it was playing in the car. And um, he came to a part, and he said, 
Did you notice that I put this, I put a little uh, clip of, of something you said in a video in my, in my recording here. Now, when he really, when that CD dropped, I bought it right away. I was probably the first person to buy the CD, so I had it. But I hadn't listened to it. <laughs> so, it's a little different music than my style. And I kept telling myself, I'm going to get to it, uh, but I never did. And so now he's asking me, did I notice this thing? I did not say, oh, Jeremy, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. I said, no, I didn't notice that. I lied to my son. And um, <laughs> I told myself, well, you know, he would have hurt his feelings, and, and there's a, you know, so, God, you know, it's okay, God, and of course. <laughs> but yesterday I was driving down here, and, and I'm certain that I'm heightened in my perception of these things because I've been preparing this message for you, but I'm out on, on uh, I-80 out there coming here the, yesterday, and the Lord just really busted me over that. And, uh, you know, I, I had to get to the nearest phone, call my son. Now, he was busy yesterday, so I haven't actually talked to him, but I will. <laughs> he, he know, we, we corresponded by text, and I told him I need to talk to you, and so we're going to do that probably today. But uh, uh, I'm going to tell him, I have sinned. Now, I don't know why that wasn't my first response, except that I'm just a, a sinner. But I want it to be my first response. I want the, I need the power of confession unleashed in my life because it brings healing. When I, when I engage in my little white lie or whatever it is that I'm doing or that is, I know, not pleasing to God, and I think, well, this isn't gonna hurt anybody, and, you know, it's not really all that big of a thing. We, we do that, don't we? We compare, I say, well, this isn't, you know, Gary does far worse things than this. <laughs> so, we, you know, we, you know, and, and we, we do that, don't we? <clears throat> but when I do, every time I do that, I add one little snowflake of sin uh, that's unconfessed to the avalanche of what's being added to by the seven billion people on this planet. And pretty soon that is overwhelming and having uh, deeply and profound, uh, or deep and profound consequences on all of us. That's the third thing I want to mention to you today is that sin has devastating consequences. David unleashed something by his sin that touched lots of people. Now, why was this sin? Why was this, you know, because David, I'm sure, I'm sure he did the same thing that you and I did and tried to uh, spin this in a way that was, well, every governor, every king, every uh, person has anything to do with public life 
has to take a census from time to time. We need to know how many people there are so we can allocate resources adequately and all that stuff. Here in the United States, we take a census every 10 years. I'm sure David said all that to God to spin, to excuse what he'd done. But see, there are sins of commission where I do something I know is displeasing to God. Sins of omission where I don't do something that God has, I omit to do something God has said I should do. And there's also sins of motivation. And David is guilty of a sin of motivation here. You know what was behind his calling for a census? And why Joab, the guy he commissioned to do it, resisted? Because Joab knew what David was not allowing himself to know that the only reason David was doing this was so he could find out the, the uh, financial status of the people in his country and figure out whether he could get more money from them out of taxation. And where were the able-bodied men who could become part of his military so that he could increase his uh, uh, presence of power presence in the world. All selfish, self-preserving, self-protecting motivations. And David would not cop to it until he's confronted with the impact of his sin. But then he does what his predecessor Saul would never do. Saul was one of those guys who could never get the words, I'm sorry, could never get the words, I goofed, could never get the words, I, I sinned, never could get the words, I failed out of his mouth, and as a result, he lost his kingdom. David, on the other hand, says this, I have sinned. And that changes everything. But let's note here that there is no private sin and, when, and every sin uh, has consequences to people other than myself. My little snowflake added to everybody else's causes a crushing weight of unrighteousness that we all have to deal with. And it has financial implications at the very least for every one of us. Just think about that little credit card or debit card you have in your wallet that has that little chip on it right there. You know that you can't buy anything and just say, well, I am who I am. Nobody, nobody can trust anybody because we all have our little snowflakes added to this big avalanche of insecurity that we all have and falsehood and, and lying and all of that that we have to deal with. So you have to prove who you are. And it's a, the escalation of what it takes to prove that keeps going higher and higher and higher. And then the latest thing for us was this chip that we put on our credit cards. The cost of the manufacture of the chip is something we all pay. The cost of the change in the chip readers in every single commercial institution in this country that takes credit cards, the cost of that we all pay. The, Additional training that the people that have to deal with the new 
process had to receive, we all, that's just a small, minute little cost to all of us that we share because of our unconfessed, undealt with sin. Think about the magnitude of all of that. My sin, your sin, has unleashed a plague that devastates all of us. David's sin was not private. And there is no private sin. When I don't handle my finances at home in a way that honors God, my wife bears, uh, bears a, the brunt of that. When you engage in what you consider to be private sin, when you're on the net and looking at stuff you shouldn't, there are other people that are going to pay a price too. There's no private sin. And we need to be willing to confess because our defensiveness only perpetuates the problem until I'm willing to do like David did and confess I have sinned. I will just keep doing the same thing over and over. I still, I will continue in that state. That's why God said confess to one another so you can be healed. Confession breaks the power of that thing over our lives. So simple and yet so so profound. Why don't we, why are we so hesitant to confess? Because confession is costly. David said, I will not offer to God that which costs me nothing. Ornan wanted to give him the threshing floor, wanted to give him everything he was going to need to make this sacrifice. He says, no, I have to pay for this. What does confession cost me? Pride. When I get on the phone today and talk to my son, I'm going to pay a price in the pride department. <laughs> That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But confession unleashes God's redemption. Now, I had to read the first verse of chapter 22 after all this takes place because there David starts to have a a glimpse of redemption. He says, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. Without elaborating, because my time is running out, this place, this, God told him to go, God said, you know, I want you to go to this man's threshing floor, build an altar there. God was already, even though the, the plague had not been Stopped. The sin had not been yet, um, full, the confession had not been fully formed. God was already preparing for the redemption. He's already preparing for the healing that comes on the other side of confession when he told David to, to do it at this place. Why? Because this would, be the, would become the site of the temple that Solomon would build where for thousands of people for hundreds of years confession would be made worship to God would be off offered people would meet with him there redemption redemption confession brings healing
This is recording number 11265 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, June 25, 2017. This is the first message in a series titled, How to Alter Your Life. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Confession. No Excuses.